John, John, what, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just polishing this Kronos Award. Right, right. Ooh, hey, so oh, shiny. Right. <laughs> um, hey. Yeah, yeah. Remember how when we won that Kronos Award? Yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah that yeah. that one. Uh, it was at Continuum Seven, uh, the Melbourne Science Fiction Convention. Oh yes, yes, and and uh, well, we won it for the for the the AussieCon Four convention. Yes, well, I like to think of it as a Worldcon, the World the Science World Fiction Con. Convention. Yeah, yeah. We won it for a panel that we did, a, a standing room only panel. That we did at the World Science Fiction with, with Convention. With Paul Cornell and Rob Shearman about writing for Doctor Who. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I like to think of it in that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but Continuum 7 is when, when they gave us this award. Yes, yes. Yeah. We also did another panel did at, at Continuum 7. Really? Yes, which, which was... We wanted to find out about why Australian television does not make science fiction, fantasy, genre television shows for adults or family audiences. Since we have such a huge reputation making it for kids. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Now, so remember how we did that panel? Yeah. We recorded that panel to yeah. play as an episode of Box Cutters. Uncanny. I know. I was wondering if you wanted to listen to it. All right. Could, well, you know, it's a nice trip down memory lane. Okay. I will I will warn the listener, though, if they're still with us, mm, that mm. Um, there, there will be variable sound quality, I believe. There will be occasionally people uh, thumping on desks and not... In an opening credits of The Prisoner kind of dramatic way, more just a kind of people thumping on desks. We did have six people, including us, uh, and there were only four microphones. So you do the maths. You needed one microphone. I needed one microphone. That meant that our guests had to share microphones. They had to fight. David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios has done a, a, a wonder, we, we should say. It's, uh, it sounds a lot better than it did in the room. It really does. Uh, so thank you very much for that, David. Uh, without further ado... Oh, 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 do the bit, do the bit, do the bit. This episode of Box Cutters was recorded in front of a live studio audience. Box Cutters. Box Cutters. Box Cutters. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters at Continuum 7, also known as Box Cutters Asks a Question. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener or audience. Uh, Box Cutters Asks a, a Question, and, uh, and the, the question is, why don't we make science fiction, fantasy, horror, supernatural genre, speculative fiction, futuristic. Uh, have I missed anything out? No, no, I think we're covering, we're covering all bases. Uh, uh, we're, we're being quite Catholic with this. Why don't we make any of those shows for, for adults, adults in Australia? But we do make <laughs> heaps of it for kids, and it's really, really successful. That's why it's just called Box Cutters Asks a Question, because the question's just way, way, way too long. Our guests today, to my right, Mark Sheriffs, creator of Spellbinder, Girl from Tomorrow, Pig's Breakfast, uh, and uh, a script producer, screenwriter, book writer of huge acclaim. Overachiever. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, this might go on. And then to, to his right, Philip Dolkin who has written for most of Australia's television shows in the last 15 years, 
with credits on everything from Sea Patrol to Genie from Down Under, as well as uh, co-writing the multi-award winning Dog Star. And to John's left, immediate left, Chris Gist, who is here as uh, ABC Commissioning Editor in Melbourne, but he was formerly Head of Development with New New Zealand's South Pacific Pictures, who have produced genre fare for adults, including Mataku and The Almighty Johnsons. And to Chris's left is David Napier, who is a director of renown and directed the TV series K9 up in Queensland. So you've heard the question, you know the guests, and and the rules rules basically are, why don't we make this for adults? And when we say for adults, what we really mean is not for children, so not specifically aimed at a C classification in Australia. Uh, And so, so it could be family, like... Uh, well, Doctor Who Doctor or Who? Star Trek. It, it could be for adults like Battlestar Galactica or... Torchwood. Yeah, um, or the Almighty Johnsons, in fact. But we have this history here of making... And also, it's not like we've failed at this in the past. Our children's television in this genre is both critically acclaimed, it's, it's you know, extremely well made, and it sells. And we've got a list here. We've made a little list just of the kind of things we're talking about. Round the Twist, Girl from Tomorrow, Dog Star, Spellbinder, Mirror Mirror, Ocean Girl, Cyber Girl, Crash Zone, Deadly, Halfway Run, Cross Turn Left, HTO, Just Add Water. It goes back to The Strangers, Fatty and George, and, of course, uh, I think the longest-running science fiction show in the world, Mr Squiggle. <laughs> Those have all been made for kids, and we've had a huge success for them. Why have we never taken that uh, the next step? Yeah, I, you also failed to mention the, uh, the magical fantasy elements of Romper Room. With the mirror that I'd see. I did fail to mention that. Yes. And uh, an Adventure Island, of course, with John Michael Housen. I don't know where that fits, I just think I should mention it. Um, <laughs> but uh, we also, also, our rules though, we are saying we're not talking about us making these shows for other people, like Farscape or uh, Space Above and Beyond or Time Trackers, which again we've, we've shown we can do. We're talking about a, a genuine Aussie made, homemade production. Uh, so, John, you've put together some examples. I, I did some research. I've, I've researched every single example I could find of what we're talking about. Every Australian show that was not exclusively aimed at children um, from the last 50 years. I've put a montage together. Found guilty of reducing in size and imprisoning inhabitants of various planets, scientist Carter Bino has been exiled by the World Council to a small asteroid. Preparations are now underway for the return of the aliens to their home planets. Refueled in readiness for this mission, the World Council flagship, Interpretaris, heads for Luna to pick up her new captain. After a brief rendezvous in space with the World Council fleet for a final briefing, the Interpretaris and her crew will set course on their strange assignment. The Vega 4 must be fully tested and ready for space flight within two days. Mr. President enjoys his little joke. There is serious interplanetary interference coming from Galaxy 5. Then send the Interpretaris to make a routine check. Interpretaris isn't equipped for Galaxy 5. Electrogalaxial forces have already dissolved three of the satellite moons of Saturn. Vega 4 is the latest ship of the line. It's our only hope. The only hope for Earth to survive. You mean you could make me physically? In tactile, in body and in spirit. I can make you a virgin once more. Really? Trust me. 
I'm a doctor. You know, I'll let me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to sleep. Don't hyperventilate. Don't hyperventilate. No! Take a good look around. You can fly to the top. The mast that cannot leave. The Doug Anthony All-Stars are stranded aboard the gigantic submarine Titanic II, Shitsu Tonka's Museum of History. The All-Stars are condemned to catalogue the world's greatest treasures. They're hopelessly lost in the vast wasteland of space. But all of this is irrelevant. One Picasso oil painting. Yep. One Miles Davis. <laughs> One. <laughs> It's all right, Gresham got us out. Who's Gresham? I didn't see anyone. Gresham home. Your clown. Your clown killed your wife. Of course it did. It's the only one who could have. Apart from you. I didn't kill her! Someone did. Scan him. like everyone I know is being replaced by zombies. Granddad, go to bed now! The cage is open, baby. The beast is about to roar. I think I'm going to need your help. The thing is, I don't know what the f*** is going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. What has this got to do with me? You are the only other human being that can see me and hear me. That is pretty much it. Not pictured, uh, Time Lapse is a 1980s show starring Madge from Neighbours set in a dystopian future, which I can't find any clips of, and the 2000 remake, uh, miniseries remake of On the Beach, which I forgot. But it was interesting that when you look at this, what this breaks down to over 50 years is effectively the first three are just three series of the same show with a different name. It's a children's thing, which happens to have adult leads. You've got uh, a campy soap. You've got two seasons of an anthology season. You've got a supernatural tinged telly movie, an avant-garde sitcom, and The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. Um, <laughs> which is unfair, because Spirited's actually really good. But... Yeah, but so is The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. <laughs> but it is just kind of weird that in, in... Whereas, yeah, we compare that to how many we've made for kids, or we compare it to how many shows we've made about firefighters, and you find the entire genres have nothing... Yeah, there's, there's, there's not, and none of those I think people are going to really cherish so no, much. No, apart although, from chances. Although we, we were remarking on how great Two Twisted looked in that little snippet, yeah. and and if the show was that good, I had the weird thing because I remember watching it and don't remember being anywhere near as good as that. Oh no, it wasn't. <laughs> right, it wasn't. That was just a fantastic <laughs> bit of editing. <laughs> that, that, was just, that was just so, let's, uh, I, so, so I, I want to start with Philip and Mark. You've both made children's television series. Mark, Mark you've won awards for children's television series. Uh, so is so, so, so Philip, but you're sitting closer. Uh, <laughs> and therefore more immediately at mind. Uh, and, and, and so you both, you both won awards. It's sold really well overseas. Uh, it's got o overseas following. Have you tried to pitch Australian... Let's call it genre fiction for the sake. Have you tried to pitch that for adults in Australia? Um, rather than calling it adults, I've had a go at pitching family-style programs in the kind of vein of Merlin and, um, I suppose, sort of in the Doctor Who area as well, and, and found the reception to be kind of lukewarm, generally speaking. Um, 
it's, I don't know, there seems to be a, a look, this, speaking just really personally, this is just my experience of dealing with networks and finding that there seems to be a kind of across the board lack of imagination on the part of the people who are reading the scripts. Um, what so. sort of feedback do you get, David, when you come in with something that is aimed at a sort of Doctor Who? So, Mark, when you, when you mean a Doctor Who audience, what do you, what kind of things do they say? Um, is there an audience for it? Is one of the one of the big ones. Why will people turn on to this? I mean, the reason we got a second series of, of Girl from Tomorrow and Spellbinder up was that the ratings proved that there was an audience out there, and, and anecdotal evidence from all kinds of sources, particularly taxi drivers, <laughs> is that um, you know people actually adults are watching the kids' programs because they want to see fantasy, but they can't satisfy their desires with you know the programs that are being produced for. For adults in Australia, so they've got to, you know, resort to um, DVD box sets or overseas programs. So uh, my feeling is that, that it's uh, there is a market out there, and you know, you people here being here today are an example of that. Um, but it requires uh, a willingness on the part of the broadcasters to see beyond the the known and to kind of take a leap of faith that if they were to back um, a program which had elements of fantasy or science fiction that, that, that they would be prepared to actually market it pretty hard. Because I think also with um, with some programs there is a, an unwillingness to, to really push it, to actually go out on a limb. And you know, the television networks, commercial television networks I'm speaking about um, rather than the ABC here um, are also have been used to making their money in a particular kind of way and because we're going through such a transition with, um, with technology and so forth I think that's an issue as well. And it's easier to to make money off the known than the unknown. Philip, does that tie uh, with your? Yeah, yeah. Look, before I even before I even begin to answer this deceptively simple question, I want to do a quick poll of the audience to know who I'm talking to. Hands up if you're a regular watcher of uh, Dancing with the Stars. Okay. <laughs> and and how many of you are regular watchers of, say, MasterChef? Okay, now there's a few more there. And how many of you are regular watchers of, say, Better Homes and Gardens? Okay, now I know where to pitch this. <laughs> the, the, do you um, do that in pitching meetings as well? No, no, you know? but, but it's, it's, it's uh, indicative of... Um, I don't watch those shows either, and, and so the, the problem is, you know, as uh, Mark alluded to, that the, the, the network executive who's being pitched something sees the science fiction or sort of fantasy audience as incredibly small. When you say that, um, you know, Australian kids' uh, science fiction things uh, and stuff have done really well, and they have, they, they sell all over the world. But if you were to look at it just in terms of ratings, any, any kid show in terms of just core kind of nuts and bolts ratings, they don't rate very much. They don't, they don't sort of grab this vast audience that, you know, latches onto it and is incredibly loyal. And uh, I think that when you are programming for an Australian uh, commercial network, they want to maximise their audience, especially in these troubled times, and especially as the audience gets more and more fragmented. Not, I'm not talking about games and uh, other things. I'm, I'm talking about as television gets fragmented and you have a science fiction network and you have you know, a whole lot of cable stations that cater more to this sort of thing. The commercial broadcaster desperately is trying to keep that uh, bulk audience that are probably getting so old they've forgotten how to change the remote from the network that they're on and stuff. So that's what they're interested in. And, and so when you go to them with something a little outside the box in any, 
in any way. Uh, it, it's difficult because they want they want to get that audience that are over 55 to start with. They want to, um, you know, if they can get a young audience that's a paying kind of audience uh, that buys things, that's good. But you know, they they want to keep a kind of a bulk audience there. That's the this is the commercial networks I'm talking about, and uh, so that's the problem that that they perceive everybody in this room is just part of a very small audience. Now, can I just say that I my sort of first love growing up is like comic books. When I was growing up, comic books would routinely sell say half a million, you know, as a, you know, a Fantastic Four or a Spider-Man or something, is roughly sort of half a million. Now, the sales today, even though comic books <clears throat> uh, have become very mainstream and very, you know, movies are being made about them and all that sort of stuff, the actual people buying comic books, that cir those circulation figures have just shrunk to maybe maybe 20% of that. It's just amazing. And as, as the world gets a little nastier and uh, sort of harder to get buy-in and everybody's in debt, it's these shows about makeovers and cooking and uh, bloody renovation that seem to be what, what a core audience kind of gravitate to. And strangely enough, fantasy and science fiction is an even smaller audience than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, Lost in Space was on at uh, sort of 8.30 at night. Um, uh, the Six Million Dollar Man is science fiction. Uh, the... Um, uh, what else? You know, even the greatest American hero is science fiction. And they're prime time. This is what I mean about, you know, these days, shows like that are on TV, but they're not on prime time. They're, they're on really late. That's so, right. so, you're saying that these decisions are purely economic. Oh, God, yeah. They're, they're... And, and if, if I'm supposed to have that, you know, it, like all science fiction, there, there's an element of suspension of disbelief yeah. here. I can't, I can't have that because if they made purely good economic decisions, the networks wouldn't be in the state they're in at, at, at the moment. So clearly it can't just be purely, purely economic. Can we move over to Chris, who is now at the ABC and the ABC, I'm guessing, doesn't have to make, I mean, this doesn't have to make decisions that are as economically based as far as, uh, as far as viewers, because they have the charter that that needs to have something as an alternate. Yeah, I think the brief is different. Um, and, you know, what Philip's saying about um, the economics of it, um, if you are a commercial network, uh, you look at a format that's proved very successful internationally. They usually translate locally, usually, not always. And then you look at the cost of making a drama whether it's a half hour or an hour, and it's multiples. It's multiples of the cost. So the decision you... And every... I just talked with Mark before. Everybody who makes uh, any sort of uh, screen program makes it to succeed. They're not... Unless it's springtime for Hitler. They're not making it to fail. They're making it to win. Um, that investment... If you've got a, a choice of a range of programs in front of you, and, you know, one of them is always greener, and another is a uh, remake of Vega 4... You, you may tend to tilt toward always greener because that will bring you, you know, at its height, I think uh, Rafter's got 2.4 million, which in today's fragmented landscape is astonishing figures. It's just magnificent. Um, Rafter's yeah. is, but, but your example is always greener. Which oh, Always Green was, was fabulously successful in Always time. Greener at the time was the highest debuting yeah. Yeah. drama ever. 
Uh, the first episode was. I wrote the second highest rating episode of that <laughs> stellar series. <laughs> but nothing... Never wrote another episode. <laughs> so that's just a little just just a point. So, but, but with um, ABC, yes, our, our remit is slightly different. Um, and there are shows that um, are particularly ABC. We don't seek, obviously, to do what the commercials do. There are commercials doing that very well. Uh, so we we do have a broad look at things. Um, we've got a uh, most of you would probably know the ABC has uh, had a tranche of funding that's enabled us to do a lot more uh, comedy and drama now, and it's a very broad slate. And we when it, we look at a lot of different things. Um, you always want to serve your audience. That's your job. You're failing if people don't turn up for your show. You've failed. Um, but you have to, it has to be, you know, commensurate with what you expect. If you do something that, that you anticipate to have an audience that has a particular interest in something, uh, your job is to capture that audience, right? You don't have to capture everybody. You have to capture the audience it's aimed at. You write a children's program, you get children. It's nice if you get mm -hmm. more people. So, you know, it's, uh, I guess what I'm saying is it's, it's complicated. Every leap into drama or comedy, whether it's sci-fi or anything, is a leap of faith. Everybody wants to get their audience in. The good news for the ABC is that we're, we are looking more broadly and we're looking at genre stuff. And this is one I wanted to ask you. I was curious about this because I attended a panel at the National Film Theatre in London uh, at the turn of the century. And it was about why doesn't the UK make science fiction anymore? Right. And it had uh, a couple of League of Gentlemen. It had the guys that had made the remake of Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, um, which is Charlie uh, Higson. A few other people. And it was interesting because... Um, and Joe Ahern, who made Ultraviolet. And this is before Doctor Who came back. And there was a sense that you couldn't mm. do it. You know, it could never work. It was never going to work again. Never be popular. Never be mainstream. Mm. Doctor Who's come back, and, um, and I'm told it plays on the ABC. <laughs> I just sit on my computer. Um, but <laughs> it... Uh, <laughs> free to I know, I know. I, 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 I'm, I'm the eye for you. Yeah. Um, but a week earlier, how does that work? There's my career gone. But Doctor Who has actually been... Am I right in thinking Doctor Who has been surprisingly successful? I, I think the ratings have been... They're very good. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's terrific. And um, I mean, it was a success the first time round, and I tend to think something that captures the audience well the first time, if you revivify it the right way, will probably get the audience the second time. Not Starsky and Hutch... But, you know, right. um, but has that led then the ABC to, to think more about genre TV? Oh, yeah, we, we are absolutely thinking about genre TV. And um, uh, I think, I think uh, the thing for us is, and this is probably true of a lot of Australian TV, Australian TV is, is kind of social realist. It's, you know, speaking to people's emotions fairly directly. Um, I, mean, I think in any genre, that's probably the tack we'd take. It's uh, To put in the thumbnail, I guess what we'd say is we're more interested in the people in the world than the world itself. The world brings a lot of colour and a lot of interest issues. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess that's the kind of framework we'd look at genre TV in. I'm just kind of curious, what, what, what in, your, in your opinion, do you think would work well for an Australian audience? What kind of examples of that oh. sort of programming... Oh, well, I think Life on Mars worked well. Um, yep, Doctor Who, absolutely. Um, Misfits, maybe? Yeah, yep. Um, I, I saw the first episode of Outcasts, uh, and I think you know there's a really good team that's been assembled to make that show. Unfortunately, it didn't find an audience. And, and I, I think it's that? the fact that it's so dull. 
<laughs> I mean, that's just off the top of my head. I think if the characters weren't boring, it may have actually been... I, okay. I don't know. Call okay. me old-fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they didn't think they were making boring No, songs. at the time, I think, I think they meant to be stoic, but I just found them dull. Because you are here, David. Now, you directed... You, you're coming from a slightly different point of view from these guys, because you were the director on K9, and this is the, the Queensland filmed series, which is... It's sort of a Doctor Who spin-off without... White being a, like you're making a show that exists more for economic reasons, I think, than anything else. Yes, trying to make Brisbane look like London is no mean feat. <laughs> Lots of stock footage. So, with that though, what was your your feeling within the industry about as far as trying to make adult science fiction? Was there any kind of interest in that, or no, none at all. Um, I'm I'm on the uh, creative side in terms of in terms of making the thing, but in my many long hours in post because I also supervised post for the whole thing, and we ended up doing something like 1,400 visual effects over the series. Um, so Who's my, counting? Yeah, <laughs> believe me, <laughs> the investors. Um, in my long, dark, <coughs> darkened discussions in darkened rooms um, at Cutting Edge doing the visual effects, um, they tried to, I mean, give a bit of context, canine... Is, a, is an independent production of the BBC. When Russell T Davies took over Doctor Who, uh, he was offered by Bob Baker, who wrote K-9 initially, K-9 uh, as a character for a spin-off series. Russell didn't want K-9, he wanted Sarah Jane, so he allowed Bob to release... He released K-9's uh, copyright back to Bob, um, and uh, Bob was... a okay to go out and make a, another show. We're, so we are sort of like the bastard cousin three, three times removed from the BBC. Uh, so what then had to happen was Bob and Paul Tams, who co-created it, they had to go out, find partners all around the world to raise, I think, something like $15 million, $16 million to make this show. So it... Um, it went together, uh, it had a difficult birth, it had a difficult production, because it was a lot bigger than I think everybody uh, expected it to be in terms of production. And uh, I had long discussions as to why it didn't get, um, it, 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 it wasn't, what am I trying to say, it wasn't sold as a family show as opposed to a C-class show, which means that it was Channel 10. But it, it does have it. child leads, though, yeah? I'm it thinking. does. But being K-9, we thought we could have steered it into sort of more adult territory. And the short answer was, every time they took it to a network and said, look, we think this could go at 7.30 or 6.30, Saturday night or whatever, um, every, all the networks said no. Um, Channel 9 avoids sci-fi like the plague uh, because every time they put something on it's lasted two weeks and then it's vanished at 11 o'clock and then it disappears. Um, the only one that showed any interest in, in sci-fi was Network 10 and that was for the kids element. So what they were trying to push into the family area first came back to the sea area, which then fulfilled Network 10's requirements, got Screen Australia involved, all that sort of stuff. I would say being sort of devil's advocate for the, for the stations, I mean, you know, Torchwood, they did try a push to play Torchwood in, in prime time. 
and it rated really badly. So, so now you're blaming these people in front I, of us. I'm possibly you're... blaming Torchwood, actually, but I wasn't, because I was thinking, back. maybe it's that whole it's not very good thing again. Where am I going with this? Well, and, and I, think, I think that's it, because Lost still did very well on Channel 7, <laughs> uh, c- comparatively. I mean, they, it had to move times, and then eventually it moved channels, but that's more Channel 7 than it was the viewers. The viewers were still very happy with it, and if Channel 7 had shown it... Uh, not even day and date, but week that it was released in the US uh, to start with, then it would have had a much bigger following on on television here. Uh, so yeah, so so the good versus the the not very good. I think that's it that's could, it. It could be knowledge. because compare that to say Channel 10's experience with Team Knight Rider, uh, which <laughs> uh, it's the obvious is, thing is clearly, you can look at. clearly obviously. Which, which was the same thing, but was just not very good. I mean, did have scenes where two cars were talking to each other. No humans <laughs> in that scene, just cars talking to each other. Just wasn't very good. Was there sex? Between, Between the cars? cars? No. Mm. They're cars. <laughs> can, I, can I just mm. butt in there? I mean, if the central question we're asking is why we don't make adult sci-fi in Australia, it's cost. It's, it's right down to cost. I mean, Doctor Who's costing... I mean, an episode of K-9, a half-hour kids' show, 23 minutes, $500,000. And we should say these things, a lot of uh, kids' shows, they're generally co-productions. So, you know, the things yeah, that Yeah, and that's the only thing that gets them through. Yeah, they have slightly bigger budgets per, hmm. per yeah. you know, the screen sort of minute. And so all these things that are requirements, really, of any kids' sort of genre, whether hmm. it's science fiction or not, special effects and CGI yeah. and stunts and things... You can afford to do them in, in kid shows because they usually got a few co-production partners mm-hmm. putting in a bit of money and uh, buying territories. Because their bones <laughs> heal quicker. That's true. But, and that's, that's, uh, I, I, know you don't, yeah, I, know, I know you don't like to hear that it's about money, but it is. Yeah. It, the, you, don't, but, you don't get you know, this CGI is, in Home and Away. But, but Philip, we, this is my question, had, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk over you, Josh. I'm going to talk over you. No, I'm talking over you. No, oh, I'm talking over you. Do you want to do that now? Yeah. All right. Isn't it though? Because this is what, what what I do get confused with the economics. That surely to make a family, like to, to make you know canine for a family audience, so just basically replacing the kids with adults, yeah. it's going to have the same budget. It's going to cost the same amount of money. And presumably, I would have thought you, you'd be able, it'd be more sellable. I, I would have thought it'd have a slightly larger audience. No, the, the uh, Australian dramas, uh, they don't. Uh, they're generally they're, they're funded primarily by the network. And so uh, the, the network has to put up the license fee, and I, I'm, I'm not sure what it is now, but that license fee barely covers the cost of a, a standard sort of police drama or something like that. Um, you can't like go out it, with undercooked. And, and, yeah, it has to match what is being bought in. Yeah, in yeah. terms of special effects, it has to deliver. And if it doesn't, that's it right. Looks but, but, and and so, in a, in a kids show, for example, kids science fiction, that the network is sorting in, uh, putting in a smaller percentage of that budget because that, that budget's being, you know, uh, propped up by all the co-production well, yeah, partners. Even so. as a co-pro, though, wouldn't it still be more sellable? Oh yeah, look, look I, I've got an example here. Yesterday, I was in Sydney. Uh, at a at a scripting meeting on a science fiction uh, show, um, fabulous story you say, Phil. Go on. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, and and this thing is a, a kids science fiction show. It's very ambitious. There are a lot of uh, co-production partners uh, involved, and it's and I'm talking to the person. This is very early days, and I, I, so I'm not I'm going to say anything about it really, other than that at some point. 
the, the girl I was speaking to who's, who's with the production company, this is an ABC mm. uh, thing. And, I think I'm trying to get a job on that, actually. And, <laughs> and she says to me, there's, there's little, lots of different ways. This is very exciting because one of the possibilities is it could be programmed, say, at 7 o'clock on a Saturday. And I, and I sort of, you know, I, I nearly fell off my chair, not, not through sort of, you know, oh, how delightful. I'm thinking, this is delusionary. That's, it's never going to happen. It's never going to go to air uh, on at 7 o'clock on Saturday on the ABC. It's, a, it's very much a kid show. It's written that way. It doesn't matter how big the budget is and how spectacular it might be because I've seen a sort of a trailer that looks really good. Uh, it's, this is, well, primarily it's written for kids. You know, you've you sort of got that sort of, that, that level of kind of science fiction um, and, and say Doctor Who is kind of written for a much broader audience. It's smarter. Mm. So just on that level, it's not going to, work on the ABC, but I would be surprised if on Saturday night the, there is that audience uh, wanting to watch science fiction on the ABC. I just I, I would find that very hard to believe. Just, just they have to have sort of... These programs have to have that magic mix of something that provides enough depth and reach for an adult audience whilst being able to entertain children at the same time in, in the family realm. Yeah. And, and that's hard. And that, that example before of Lost, Lost starts off as very much a group of people who land on an island. And, and this is everybody who gets on a plane. That's their greatest fear. They're going to end mm. up boom, like this. Mm. And then the weird stuff happens. Primarily, you've got a a great collection of characters that we can all identify with in a very recognisable situation for a broad audience, and then weird stuff well, and happens and gets weirder. The yeah, cost yeah. in the pilot for Lost yeah, that's a very was expensive. not science fiction cost. That was no, that's right. broken plane cost. That's right. And sending everyone to Hawaii. Mm. But if if only we had someone who had worked on a like on a genre of production for adults, not in Australia. I know, because I mean, I, I, you, you talk about cost, but there must be other smaller countries that have somehow managed to make to, genre to produce, television to to produce adults. shows yeah. that, I don't know, maybe were about Norse gods. Living in Auckland. Yeah. yeah. Or, um, actually, New Zealand did this, didn't they, Chris? Um, this, this, actually, we're putting this panel together. I contacted a friend saying, I'm looking for a Chris Gist type who can talk about New Zealand funding. He said, you realise Chris Gist lives here now? I'll get him. Um, <laughs> Because this is the thing, in the last decade in New Zealand, and this is where it's an interesting sort of look, at, especially about budgets, because in the last decade in New Zealand, we've got uh, Madaku, which is a back to, basically a Maori Twilight Zone yeah, series. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's a, a series called This Is Not My Life, which was set in the future and was kind of a paranoid thriller with medical yep. technology involved. Um, a show called The Cult, which wasn't science fiction, but was definitely kind of genre yep. tinged. And the Almighty Johnsons, which if you listened to Box Cutters last week, you and I just giggled for yeah, we, half an hour going, it's so good! <laughs> we couldn't stand up for half an hour for the bonus we had for it. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is such a good show. And it's a, about a dysfunctional family living in modern-day New Zealand who also happen to be reincarnations of Norse gods. Um, and it is on DVD. It's just come out in New Zealand DVD and you can get it from various online retailers and I totally recommend you do. But here's is it, the is question. Is it a sitcom, John? Is it a, it's not. It's, you it's think a, it's going to be a terrible, terrible sitcom. It's a one-hour drama. Huh? It's a one-hour drama. I'm trying to think what it's comparable to. What would you... Uh, uh, the Almighty Johnsons, I'd say. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah, a little bit being human would probably mm. be the best kind of comparison. I, I, I was actually going to say it's like Outrageous Fortune with Norse Gods. Yeah, like yeah. Like... It also has gratuitous nudity, so it's got a yeah, element of chances in there as well. That <laughs> one. Um, yeah, it's very, very much like Outrageous <laughs> Fortune. Available on DVD. Now, here's the question, though, because, yeah, especially um, Almighty Johnson's, actually none of these, but Almighty Johnson's, it's not cheap. They, these don't look cheap. You don't think that's a cut price, mm. you mm. know, show. They look really expensive. 
how how does New Zealand make them? How can you make these in in Kiwi land, and yet we can't make them here? I think Almighty Johnson's is probably a good example. And I was going to when we were talking about budget before, I, I did um, mention um, Tony Jordan show and Life on Mars, and the the trick in that show, and this is where fantasy and sci-fi is a slippery slippery terms. The trick in that is it's about two realities. So here's a man understanding one thing in a world that is set in a slightly... Okay, so it's period because it's 70s and all the rest of it, but it doesn't rely on Doctor Who size special effects. And I would say um, Almighty Johnson's, and I think that's very true about Outrageous Fortune, which I don't know if anybody's seen this show, but it's it's, uh, about a kind of crime family that's trying to go straight. And it's, as I was saying before, it speaks to people's family problems. It's emotional. And Almighty Johnson's is about a family of brothers. It's emotional. So we're not really there to see the sea turn red, which we do, or a meteor shower, which we do, or, you know, a heart-shaped arrow being fired into somebody's heart. Or it heart. snows indoors. Or it snows which indoors, is the which we amazing <laughs> Yeah. But I think, I think when you construct these budgets and things like compositing and art and so on, they, they are getting cheaper in a number of ways, and you be, you're very judicious in how you use that and you spread it out and you make it look as though there's a lot in it when perhaps there isn't quite so much because most of the time you're enjoying the story of these people that you've come to like. I think that's the magic trick for... Um, and, and also, frankly, budgets are different in New Zealand. Uh, the exchange rate's different in New Zealand, if you haven't had any secrets. <laughs> 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 Um, so how does the funding model work then? What's, what's the difference that allows New Zealand to go, let's make the almighty uh, Johnsons rather than that thing about firefighters? I think, uh, yeah, I, I think across the board, um, uh, the expectation is, is probably different. So that means casting won't cost you as much. Um, you know, a variety of things won't cost you as much. And, and you can, you're, you're all free to look at um, the expenditure from New Zealand on air. It's online. You can check out what they put into these shows. That gives you a very clear idea compared to what Screen Australia or any of the other agencies put into the shows. Okay. So it's, it, it is uh, more affordable in New Zealand. Um, but they do a fabulous job. Programmers too must be slightly more adventurous there because uh, if I pitched that show to Channel 9, for example, even if it had Rebecca Gibney and uh, sure, somebody sure. else... It, and and it, it's got boobs in it as well. Has it? Right. Yeah, it, it yeah happen, I, always a win. I, I think the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the answer to how that would operate, and, and this is slightly different for uh, people with Philip's experience, but uh, the guys that did Outrageous Fortune, they've done over 100 hours of this program. Uh, that was for TV3. They're involved with the Shortland Street and the Soap for many years. Uh, they're involved with other uh, 60 hours of a show called Mercy Peak. They've been around for a long time. But even beyond and that, there's a psychology, I think, isn't there, that's different? Because I know we were talking about this, and, and maybe I got this wrong, but you sort of implied that it's almost like New Zealand says we've got a very small amount, finite amount of money. We can only make a certain number of programs. We do the same thing here to a degree. But whereas we go, let's make the safest, most broadest thing possible. New Zealand kind of goes, let's make something unique that no one else will make. Oh, well, I think, I mean, that was one of the joys of working in New Zealand is that, um, and the first show I worked on was probably also a, a fantastical show. It had reincarnation and people stuck in car washes when an ambulance crashed and the spirit that was meant to go into that baby ended up in the guy in the car wash and it was, was very fantastical and it did very well uh, for TVNZ. 
Um, but you know, back to Quiet Earth. I mean, there's a whole range of genre things going on in New, in New Zealand, and I and uh, Peter Jackson uh, is the offspring of that sort of opportunity. I would say, I'd say those opportunities exist in Australia as well. Um, you know, there's a number of Peter Weir films. You know, Picnic at Hanging Rock mm -hmm. has got mystical elements in it. Um, I this, this is probably a much broader answer. But when when I first got to New Zealand, I thought, what's the what is the psychological difference about where do we go for jeopardy between the two countries? And in New Zealand, they don't have poisonous things. And you could probably walk from one side of it to the other on a nice day and eat some berries and meet a nice, you know, Kiwi. In Australia, keep walking and you'll probably be dead in a couple of days. And so Australia goes to the inland for terror and for mm -hmm. jeopardy. The physical world is more dangerous here, I would suggest, than, than um, New Zealand's physical landscape. So where do you go to for um, spooks in New Zealand? You go to the internal world, the psychological world, and, and hence shows like Mataku, Spooky Tales of South Pacific. I don't know that's quite... The imperative might be slightly different in Australia. So when you look at all the things that Australia's done, go back to Patrick, you know, there's a whole bunch of things Australia's done in the fantasy sci-fi genre. Um, we're churning out a whole lot more stuff than New Zealand is too, by the way. But um, at the end of the day, um, uh, I think... It's, it's probably the fact that TV3 had a very, very successful show, as I say, over 100 hours of Outrageous Fortune. And when these guys, um, you know, James Griffin and Rachel Lang, wanted to do something else, that was the something else, Almighty Johnson's. And, and there was a lot of discussion on the way through, and there was a lot of shifting, and there was a lot of talk about, well, who's the audience character? How are the emotions going to lock in with the audience? You know, so all, all of those values still attach. Um, you know, and as a production company, um, South Pacific followed through on that strongly. And TV3, um, you know, we came to an agreement and, you know... I, I do wonder, though, because I like to overthink things, that uh, I think it's... Um, I do think there's a psychology at work, which is interesting. As a nation, we're a no-bullshit nation. So the idea of going, and there's a mystical thing, you know... But we, yeah. but we, love, we love the mystical thing, and we have, uh, you know, and, and any chance to evoke concept of dream time we will mm -hmm. uh and like little oberon for, for example was a, a great use of uh the mystical in a sub-rural or semi-rural environment uh i think i think we do that well i, I, I want to know while, while we're talking about the psychology of things uh and we haven't heard a lot from from mark as someone who works consistently in children's television uh but also a huge science fiction fan and and wanting to make this do, do you find yourself uh having a kind of an ulterior motive when you speak to people do, do you ever try to just surreptitiously throw in an idea that this would fly what's your question as, <laughs> have you tried to put vampires into neighbours? Yes. Have you, have, you, have you ever tried to suggest to, that, that, well, maybe we could do this to adults? When, you, when, when, you're in a, when you're in a meeting, when you're in a pitching meeting, when you're talking to a network, when you're talking to a, a major production company, have you ever just thrown the idea out just to see what kind of facial expression comes back and see if, <laughs> if you can then hook that in and reel it? Right. Well, the straight answer is no. We move on. Sure. <laughs> no, look, I, I just... Uh, stories are all about psychology and about mm. what's going on with emotions. And, you know, I, I teach writing occasionally and I'm, I'm quite at pains to point out to students that, that really 
you have two strands when you're telling a story. You have the action strand, which is, you know, all the visuals, which make a television story kind of interesting. But really, what the audience is, is what's going on inside people. It's the emotional story and the nature of the relationships with people. And I think all of the best science fiction fantasy shows, mm. fantasy shows explore that. I mean, my, I've been watching a bit of uh, Being Human, which I think is a, a very clever way of utilisation of resources to do fantasy with, you know, very small costs, really. It's just about four people, interesting, you know, werewolf, vampire and ghost sharing a house. So it's kind of a riff on the shared house situation, but occasionally they do a bit of CGI when people turn into things. But it really looks like a fairly low-cost show, but what makes that show so interesting and appealing to an audience is what's going on between the characters and their struggle to be human inside inside this, this strange world, which would be against all of them. And I think the best science fiction always examines the human condition. I mean, The X-Files for all its marvellous exploration of the fantasy and paranormal, was really much more about the relationship between the two central characters and and their particular views of the world and an exploration of the views of the world through different points of view. And I think that um, if we were able to find a a picture show that had such a, a kind of premise to it that we're examining the world in a way that other shows don't do it, a particular set of circumstances, a particular jeopardy, to use the word that Chris used before, then we might we might have a chance of getting it up. It's not to say that the networks won't always take risks on shows. Once upon a time, we had a thing called the Commercial Television Production Fund, which was responsible for a, a little crime show called Good Guys, Bad Guys. Great show. <laughs> which was, you know, absolutely out of the out of the square when you talk about crime shows, and it was quirky. It had Marcus Graham in it. Um, you know, it was fun. And the reason that got up is because the network didn't actually have to provide all the money. The, the government, in its wisdom, actually provided this special fund for people to do slightly more, well, not experimental programs, but, but programs that wouldn't ordinarily kind of get a, get a look in. And, you know, they got three seasons out of that show, and I thought it was a mm. tremendously mm. Well, well-conceived well program. Mm. Um, so uh, apart from the, the commercial aspects of television, and anybody out there who's thinking of, of writing for television has to be aware that if art gets made on television, it's an accident. <coughs> um, you have to face the fact that television is a commercial enterprise, except for the ABC. So people who are making programs are all the time looking at you know, the audience and, and how much audience share can we get, and you know, decisions are made upon ratings all the time. Um, but if you were to think about trying to write for those sort of circumstances, rather than kind of going, oh, they'll never, they'll never take my idea... Think about what idea you might put to them which might have a chance of getting through given the parameters that you know about shows. So rather than kind of being resentful about the fact that we don't make it, think how is it reasonable for us to make television, fantasy, science fiction in an environment of 20-odd million people that is smaller than other markets around the world and that might have a chance to, to say something which potentially could transfer to other territories as well. I mean, all the emotional stuff that gets explored in, uh, in being human to take that example, is stuff that's universal. It's about relationships, and universal human relationships are universal. That's my rant. So, so you think it's it's possible, but we need to be really smart about it? Yes. I've tried... Uh, there's a thing, the Writers Guild has an award, the John Hind Award for Science Fiction script uh, every year. It's worth 15 grand. It's worth winning. So, <laughs> so knowing, knowing that there's very little science fiction sort of being written, uh, and Doug and I kind of always uh, 
put in Dogstar scripts and stuff, and because Dogstar's finishing and I'm depressed, you know, because I've got nothing fun to write, <laughs> I, I pitch things like in Sea Patrol, like uh, Hammersley goes through this time warp and it ends up in the Battle of the Coral Sea and... Uh, and they just go, you're a dickhead. And, but you know that's never going to fly, because no, that involves World no, War II that's, war no, no, but that's how desperate I am to sort of <laughs> keep the John Hines Science Fiction Award thing going, because there, there will be years where there is no science fiction written soon, you know. It'll, and it, you'll it'll, it'll be, yeah, yeah. Well, not unless I've written something, and, and there's precious sort of little science fiction around even in, in kids' shows. Um, what, what won last year, actually, was some... Um, Primeval, uh, some guys in Queensland do a, a, a spin-off, um, uh, you know, environment, an online sort of... Uh, the Hoodland guys. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, right. a, and it's great. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's the future. That's writing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's hard. It, 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 you know, I think... I, I was thinking, as you were saying, I've never thought of this before, but um, the other thing, the other science fiction that was always on, on TV and, and still is in prime time is uh, sitcom things like Third Rock from the Sun... And uh, when I when I was a kid, you know, my favourite Martian and, and stuff yeah, like Jean, that. And if you, yeah, magical stuff. Yeah. Mm. And so, although that's another possible way of sort of. Um, well, we haven't mentioned Wilfred, which uh, I was yeah. thinking about yeah. before, which you know, it's not kind of strictly in the fantasy area, but the premise of it is a is is one that's quite different, and they've remade that in the states. So you know, mm. yeah. they started showing ads for it on television last night. So that's an example of of taking uh, a story about a man and his dog and giving it a skew. Which yeah. makes it interesting and different, but it's all about the relationships. But again, it's cheap. It is absolutely yeah, cheap. It's, it's that, it's I, I had to keep coming back to that. I suppose if you're doing a sitcom and it's about a bunch of bogan Aussie uh, astronauts set on the space station, mm. because it's one environment with blinking lights, that's mm. you could probably get. That's but, probably but you could mortgage your house and make a film called Mad Max, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in summation, you guys, what have um, we learned? Oh, um, look, I, I. I I again just keep coming back to unfortunately um, it's an expensive genre to make. That's um, not entirely true. Well, it it isn't if you're clever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, the reality of the reality of Australian television is that even the children's television, whether it be genre, fantasy, uh, science fiction, whatever, would not be made without government. Uh, without the government uh, mm. telling the networks you have to make it. I mean, if, if, if Sherry could spend $20,000 an episode or $10,000 an episode getting something from, from the US or the UK and not have to fulfil brownie points, she'd do it yep. um, on Channel 10. Um, but the government dictates that you have to have a certain number of drama points, you have to have a certain number of C-drama points, all of that sort of thing. So then they then they've I think they've just set the license fee at a hundred thousand per ep I think networks per half an hour. yeah per half hour hundred thousand so if a hundred thousand dollars is what the Australian networks are mandated to pay you've got to find another four hundred thousand dollars to actually make your half hour of television now that can only be done with a co-production and it normally has to be done with a co-production between either UK or Canada or Singapore or somebody that can put a significant amount of not just capital but infrastructure into it as well. 
Um, and usually so, they, they want something for that. They, they oh, exactly. not, I mean, not just territories. They, if it's animation, they might want to do some of the grunt work animation. Yeah, oh, precisely. The Philippines yeah, or something. Yeah. So it's this cocktail of arrangements where you, you might have to make certain sort of compromises, you know, culturally a little bit yeah. as well. So um, we're, but if, we're running out. But of it's time. better. It's better to do it rather than not do it. But that's the thing. You, you get to play with bigger toys, and you get to have a lot of fun doing that. That's true. And, that's and the true. other thing about kids' TV that is absolutely different to us, to um, uh, prime time TV is the, the networks, the charities of the world, are never really going to give you a big notes. You're going to be free to do pretty much. Uh, whatever you like, yeah, and, precisely. and that's that's a big attraction, you know. Yeah. Compared to sort of, on the one hand, I you know you, you get notes on primetime TV that just depress you, and and there was a thing I was watching. I don't want it to be disparaging of networks, but <laughs> I was watching something on um, what's it called, Winners and Losers, and I don't watch the show very much, but I'll just relay this. You probably uh, you wouldn't have seen it. There's a girl. It's a she's about to get married. Somebody brings to her at a party a, a prenuptial agreement thing mm. that's been drawn up by a lawyer. And she, she looks at this thing and goes, Jesus, what is this? I didn't ask for this. This is terrible. This will just ruin our relationship. My mother has done this. I, 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 I can't let my future husband see this. Let's just forget all about this and we'll go and party and I'll just put it in this envelope on the dresser where we're <laughs> going to be sleeping tonight and never speak of it again. Prominently on the dresser, standing up, not even lying down, standing up. And I was looking at it thinking, well, if, if I was doing a kid's show, I, I'm saying we don't get notes and stuff, but you get notes from co-production partners, and they would say, well, that's stupid, that's just stupid, that is un, unconscionable writing, that um, it's just foreshadowing too much and all these things that wouldn't be acceptable in children's television, but here it is in primetime Australian drama. So that raises a whole lot of other issues that I don't want to go into. But, you know, it's, there is a strange sort of crossover. On the one hand, you get, you know, to do stuff that is very exciting and different and innovative on kids' TV. And uh, adult drama is ruled by different rules. Well, uh, just lastly, Chris, if you've got 20 seconds to, uh, from, a, from a commissioning point of view. Um, when are we seeing stuff on the ABC? What's the time now? <laughs> um, oh, no, no. Uh, we're, as I said, um, we're looking at genre stuff, and you know, um, what can I say? I can't talk about slates. So I'm just going to say that you know, we're yes, we look at we look at all genres. But, but in fact, the ABC is more open to it than they have been perhaps in the past. Oh well, I think the ABC is in a better position financially um, to, and I can I can say clearly that this slate is broad and good, and um, and you know. Certainly aimed at uh, the ABC audience plus. So. Well, I, I want to say thanks to. Uh, sorry, Phil. Uh, it's at, all right. At, uh, Dave, uh, out of time. You're right. Uh, out of time. Phil Dolkin, Chris Gist, David Napier, Mark Sheriffs. Thank you to everyone for uh, for turning up. Uh, that's the end of Box Cutters asks a question. Listening to box, box Cutters. So, look, in retrospect, can I say I don't think we're going to win another Kronos Award film? Yeah, and I think and that, that wasn't that wasn't award-winning, but I did find a, a couple of things interesting. One is you shouldn't have more than two guests <laughs> on a panel. That was that was one important thing that I learned. No, look, I mean, fabulous guests. I, I, I blame us. 
personally. Uh, I, yeah, I, it's entirely our fault. It is entirely our fault. We didn't follow up. Yeah, the the we didn't we didn't put the hard questions in. Um, we did, I think, get bogged down a little bit in the kind of how commercial stations fund these things because no one believes that's where the big Aussie science fiction series is going to come from. Really, you don't think uh, you, you don't think Channel Nine seven thirty no, Tuesday night? I really don't. Yeah, it's going to be the ABC. It's going to be SBS, and also I think. We kind of we did a lot of discussion about old broadcast models. I think we we were we were still talking about how things have worked on things like seven and nine in the past, and as you and I know that that's been crumbling, mm. you know. And I think new, yeah, you know, there there are going to be new ways of funding in the future. So, but also I think the biggest problem, which occurred to me afterwards, we went in to ask why don't we make these programs. And we ended up with a slightly negative panel. <laughs> and and this is uh, this is something that you learn. In, and if we had Toby Halligan with us, he would have told us straight away. In debating, you never have a negative topic. Yeah, yeah. So what we should have asked was, how do we make Australian science fiction television for adults? Or how would we? Or how could we? How could we? Yeah. And I, I have some theories. I, I have I have three. Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear? I, 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 the second. I, I, yes, yes. Tell me, I want to hear the second, the first, and the third. Okay. So, in no order. Uh, one of my theories. Now, look, important, vitally important bit of information we mentioned not getting that panel. You knew, the panelists knew, I didn't know, didn't come up. I was asking, why can't we just make these programs with grown-ups in them? So, at the very least, an adult can watch them without feeling embarrassed. Ah, you can make them with just so just take the C classified stuff and and make it with grown ups yes. in them. You can make it with grown ups in them. You can't just have you, you just can't have grown ups as the protagonist. Now this is the thing though. This is what everyone sort of left out though. It, it is no longer a C classified show. That's I think a vitally important bit of information. Under the C classification, you do need to have children in the show. You need to have children as the protagonists driving the action. That wasn't I think clear from our panel. So, my first suggestion, let's rewrite the C classification so you don't need kids on those shows anymore because they're ruining it for everyone. And before, because I see that judgmental look on your face, Canal, before you go on, there has been research shown, and sadly this afternoon I couldn't find it, but there has been research I've already... Kids don't really want to watch kids. Kids generally don't. I'm that fussed whether kids are in shows or not. As a kid, I didn't care. Uh, Places that the BBC obviously didn't care because Doctor Who never had any child actors in it. It did have what one might call a BBC teenager, which is basically <laughs> a 26-year-old playing a 17-year-old. But, you know, but I, I don't think... Because if you, if you could, at the very least, we show clips from uh, Vega 4, uh, Phoenix 5, and the first one, uh, the, the Interpretaris. Yes. All, all of which are... Parts of the same series. Effectively, yes. They're effectively like three series of one show. They're a different kind of, you know, different title, but they all link together. They were all made as children's programs in the late 60s for the ABC and Channel 7 in a weird co-production. Those would not be done now because they don't classify as C. You know, they wouldn't be up for C classification. They did then, and that's the thing. If you change the C classification, you can at the very least immediately have a Star Trek-type series. Except, and this is, this is in some ways twisted logic, but C, the fact that the C classification exists in the way it does ensures that we have Australian content made. Like, it's, it's one of the 
it, it's one of the things that continuously gets made is children's television mm-hmm. because we need to fulfil the seed classification requirements on our free-to-air networks. So do you think if we change the seed classification... So you still need to make X hours of children's television, but it can have teenage characters in it or... Do you think that would that end up would, destroying the... Well, why wouldn't you just show Home and Away at four o'clock? Oh, yeah. You see, it's... You, if, what if about the same it's educational? Like that's Doctor Who was for one episode. <laughs> you're taking the the G classification mm-hmm. and just renaming it C. And and there are differences right. in, in the two of them. So it's a very, it's a very specific thing, I think... Uh, so, so I, I'm rejecting that not because it's it's completely outrageous, but just because C classification works for the moment as far as getting people to make new television mm-hmm. and getting new ideas out there. Uh, so, what's uh, what's your second one? Well, my second one is let's be more like New Zealand because we did hear Chris Gist gave us some mm. some really good stuff in there, and. You know, we kind of touched on this seems to be a slight cultural difference, perhaps. But New Zealand does make these shows. You know, they've made a bunch of them. So why don't we just look to how they're funding them and copy that? Uh, I see no problems with that. Yeah, and this leads into my third one. Let's be like spirited. Now, we made a bit of fun (laughs) at the beginning of it, but I genuinely think it's a good show. I really like it. I really like the series, everything up to the last 10 minutes of the last episode. And... The Marie Hardy episode, which if you've seen The Sixth Sense, you've seen The Sixth Sense. We've all seen The Sixth Sense. <laughs> I've also seen The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. The... <laughs> but I think, look, it's, I think it's, it's a good show. It's a very handsome show. It's got great actors in it. It's got known actors. It's got names. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being made for a tiny, tiny cable channel. It's the W channel, I think, on Foxtel. Uh, no, it was made for... Oh, I thought it was made for showcase. No, I think it's actually something smaller. Certainly, the, the oh, maybe you're right. The leaflet in my DVD case said that it was it was maybe maybe yeah, you're right. Series two was on the W channel, um, and so here's this show that that is being made quite handsomely. It doesn't look cheap at all. You wouldn't spot it as a cheap show. Somehow they've managed to make the numbers work. Well, one of the advantages of having a ghost as a protagonist is uh, they are bound by borders, mm-hmm. so. You're limiting the number of locations. Oh, there is. Yeah, you know, is, you know there, there are so many things that they that you can do to to reduce the cost yes. of the show like that. And it is set. You know, a lot of it's set in a hotel. But even that said, at least one big chunk of it's not a set; it's a location. There's mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of effects. There's a, a few times because the ghost can't leave the hotel. Every time they want to represent that, there's like fog all around the hotel, which is obviously done with just a few enormous smoke machines, but they're actually physically doing that, which is kind of impressive. A lot of people breathing in, in the, in, in the in cold winter. city yeah. air. Uh, so, um, yes, that's, I mean, and it was a shame we couldn't get anyone from, from Spirited to, you know, get there. And I don't, I, I don't mind that, uh, I mean, they're, they're essentially this, this, the same thing, New Zealand and, and Spirited. Because, yes. Yeah. Because they are both the, well, just make it, mm-hmm. just make it. If if you build it, they will come. If you put it on, people will watch it. If it's good, people will watch it. And uh, and Spirited was a fun show. It's a it's a, a probably a little bit older than Family. It's it's a little it's a li- little bit adult. Yeah, uh, it but you know, has some sex and some swearing in it. But so. it's got. But you know, it could also be Family. Like it's 
it's not a far it's not a far stretch. You, you from, could do yeah, it depending on what you wanted to do with it. You, uh, you could have. I was just listening it. to an interview with uh, one of the producers of the US series Southland, which is not about a, a massive shopping, shopping centre. Right. Uh, it's in fact about police. Oops, I know, shocked. But they moved from NBC to a cable channel from their first to second season. And they started to have to make their show for something ridiculous, like a quarter of the budget. But they did it. They worked out how to do it. I think when you're coming down to the question of cost, which seems to be what the entire conversation was coming to, except for Chris Gist, uh, was that the... You can make things for a smaller budget. Of course you can budget. make them. And this is why we about look spirited. They must know what their budget is. I don't know how, you know, how they manage to make it work. I would love to know, going okay, tiny channel, tiny reach, but obviously this is a thing. And the way things are changing to, you know, the AMC model in America, where you make you make Breaking Bad, you make Mad Men, because you want people to And then you also buy. make a killing. Yeah. But, you know, there are obviously ways this can be done, and the budget thing is no problem. If someone goes... Have this much money? I must admit, during the during the conversation, there was uh, that thing of was it a hundred thousand or something? There was a number five hundred thousand. Da- David David said uh, five hundred thousand. Before... He said that's what per episode cost, but they yeah. also said that the money you would get from a commercial station was, I think, a hundred thousand. And I'm thinking I could do that. <laughs> I yeah. can make a hundred thousand work. Yeah, it's like... do it for hundred thousand. And and you know, and David's talking about creating uh, episodes of K nine, <laughs> which is. Uh, Expensive because you've got to uh, train a robot dog. Yeah, and they're hard to train. They are very hard to train. And then Jim Belushi to yeah. be in it as well. He's not even on screen. Right. I can't even afford to put him on screen. So it's very different to the movie. A slightly different movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's actually 17 canines too. They just alternate between them. Oh, really? Because they're underage. Ah, oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So it's a little bit like Marlo and Otis then. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so yeah, so, so I, I found that interesting. I found the negativity in the room very interesting, <laughs> and uh, and and I would like to have the question posed again and posed to each person in isolation, and posed in that rephrasing of how could we do it? Ooh, how do we do it? And yeah. see and see what uh, they come up with because there also seemed to be an, an air of encouraging someone to, like, I'm going to be this negative, well, I'm going to be more negative than you. I'm going to negative your yeah. ass. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, you know, why can't we all just get along? I think it's doable. Let's do it. My dad's got a barn. Let's put on a show. Well, yeah, there is actually, I think, a bit of that to be said. But also, I was on another panel uh, with uh, Philip that afternoon, Philip Jolkin, in which he was saying how he thinks there's enormous scope in Australia for children's animated feature films. And it was kind of interesting to hear him go, here's a thing we could do. And I was like, well... Why can't we do it? Well, we used the to other do way. it. Yoram yeah. Gross did it in, did it in the late seventies. Again and again. I know. Yeah. You know, there's there's no reason we we can't do those things. We can do them all, and we have we have the talent. And if you look at all the all the writers, all the story writers for science fiction that we had at Continuum, like we we have that talent mm. pool. We could do it. Yeah. We just we're scared. So. I think the question, the answer that I wanted that we didn't get to is why are we so scared? Because you and I have done the numbers, John, and we looked at, you, you, you said, Doctor Who is rating 900,000. Uh, Roughly 900,000. 
Winners and losers, rates roughly 1.3 1.4. Half a million people. Sounds like a lot, but also sounds like not a lot. Like the way that the, the numbers if, are going. If you think if you think that Doctor Who is on a Saturday night, then it's on the ABC. Winners and losers is prime time on a weeknight on a commercial channel. They start to look a lot more even. Mm, you realize that it's not quite what we... It's easy to go, oh no, commercial numbers are this. But when you go, well actually, they're not anymore. Mm-hmm. And especially if you hide the science fiction or fantasy, like like they do in Spirited, like they do in The Almighty Johnsons, like they do in Lost, where you think, oh, it's a show about this, and then you get sucked into it, and then suddenly you're watching some, some other genre that you weren't intending to watch. There's even, I mean, True Blood and Buffy, you could say that, you know, you could say True Blood's just truly appalling. You could say it's, that True Blood... <laughs> I have, it, I have. It is, it's awful. But True Blood has a certain high camp soapiness that people really like, um, Buffy had a, uh, uh, you know, Buffy had a whole thing about characters. I thought it was, um, you know, we really should have ended on your barn comment. That was brilliant. But no, no, <laughs> I, 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 we kept going. Um, Chris Gist's comment about how the they'd be more interested in the characters in the world than the world itself was both, I thought, fascinating and alarm belly. But I'm not quite sure why or which mm. or whither. And I think... It is interesting to see what we would get. I think, yeah, the world we're going to go down in Australia when we do finally get this will be not science fiction. I think it will be supernatural. And I think it will be a romance or at least character-based thing to which those comments are, though those elements are less vital. Well, we want to hear from you. Uh, send us an email to hooray at boxcutters.net. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters. Well, you know what? It ended up being episode 269, John. It's not special. It's, it's not a special. It's episode 269. Honestly, th- thanks very much to David Ashton. Thank you very much to all our panellists who are listed on the website at boxcutters.net. Sure, I'll mention them now. Chris Gist, Philip Dolkin, David Napier, and Mark Sheriffs. Uh, thanks to everyone at Continuum for being so excellent. That was awesome. Yeah, it was really it a was great, really good, good. great weekend. Well done to all of you. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. And hey, let's be careful out there. This episode of Box Cutters was produced by John Richards and Josh Canal and recorded at Continuum 7 by David Ashton. Box Cutters is Josh Canal, John Richards, Brett Cropley, Courtney Hocking, Dave Lawson and Toby Halligan. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like to go to the iTunes store and leave a review. You might like to tell your friends. You might like to give us money. On Twitter, we're at BoxCuttersCast. And on Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash BoxCutters. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.